if you would take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 3. Just some incredible verses before us tonight. There, you know, it's just, this is such an excellent book. And then you just hit these verses that are just monumental in their impact. And that's really what we're looking at this evening in Philippians chapter 3 and verses 12 to 16. So if you turn there, Philippians 3 and verse 12, we've entered into this amazing third chapter as we've discussed. The, the extended power of the application that is so evident here, which is stunning to realize in light of the application that we've come out of chapter 2 telling us and showing us so beautifully the need for humility and the need for tenderness as a result of the humility and that tenderness which Christ showed the one who was fully God and fully man and the amazing doctrinal statements in the kenosis passages of chapter 2 that then as we see him in his humility having set aside Uh, or veiled for a time the elements of his deity so that he could be our great high priest, we too are to learn the amazing blessings of that humility in our lives. So to consider now that we're in an even bigger application section is even kind of hard to grasp. Chapter 3 started with this contrast of rejoicing and warning. And really, it's been a chapter of contrast. The contrast continued in the second section in the confidence. That is the confidence in the flesh versus the reality of where our confidence is to lie. And Paul's proclamation of all that spiritually he had to boast of. And that amidst all of that, that that really was of no value at all. And then our third contrast of loss and gain occurred in the verses in the text just previous to ours tonight. And as Paul counted all of his great achievements loss, we're called to recognize what of value do we truly possess. Or more so, what could we consider loss for Christ's sake? And that was, that was an incredible application. Because we have so much. And frankly, we are on the verge of being in the same state as the rich young ruler who came to the Lord and and wanted to know what he could do to inherit eternal life. And, And the Lord recounted to him how he was to keep the law. And he said, oh, all of these things I have done from my youth. And the Lord says, one thing you lack, sell all that you have and give to the poor and come and follow me. And did he say, okay, that's my resolve, Lord. That's what it takes. I'm in. No. He went away disheartened. And we have to recognize that in our day and age for we are so affluent, richer than any community at any time on this earth. The poorest, as we've discussed, of our United States are richer than the richest 1% of any society before us. That makes the rest of us who are not amongst those that are the poorest of our society even more well-to-do and a a serious reminder of what we could consider loss for Christ's sake. Well, Paul then makes a direct transition to our text this evening in verses 12 to 16. I've titled our message for tonight, Never Stop. Never Stop. 
Let's look at our text together in Philippians 3, 12 to 16 as we consider this title and the message that the Lord has for us. Follow along if you would please as I read Philippians 3, 12 to 16. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by the same standard to which we have attained. Never stop. Paul expresses in our text tonight three actions of perseverance that every Christian must embrace. There are three actions of perseverance that we as believers in Christ must embrace if we are to grow and understand what the Lord has for us. And Paul reveals this so powerfully in this text, again, which I've titled, Never Stop. Paul, as he expresses these three actions, he brings the first one to us in verse 12. And as he does so, I've titled this first point in verse 12, Laying Hold. Laying Hold. The first part of verse 12 says, Not that I have already obtained it. The first question that we have to ask ourselves is, What has Paul not yet attained? He says, Not that I have already attained it. So what is it? To what is Paul referring that he has not yet attained? Well, to understand that, we have to back up the bus. We have to go back to the verses before and look at what they were focusing on because our introductory uh, conjunction there tells us that there is something that was immediately connected with this. So if we go back to verse 7, It says, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. So it could be those things that he counted loss. But then verse 8, more than that, I've counted all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. So it's not the things lost, because he's just said they're of no value. They're of rubbish, and we talked about that word, scubalon, and all that it means. But rather, maybe then it is knowing Christ Jesus. That certainly would start to give us an idea of what it was that he had not yet obtained. But that doesn't quite fit either, does it? So we go to verse 8. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. And verse 9, and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, 
but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. So now he's even, he's crescendoed a bit more. It's not just having Christ Jesus, it's the righteousness of Christ Jesus that has become the pinnacle of this. Could there be more? Well, we look at verse 10, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. That's all what comes out of his righteousness. So the point and the the center focus of that whole stanza is that righteousness that we see in verse 9. The righteousness which is not Paul's from the law. He's just talked about all of his spiritual pedigree which is useless. So it is a righteousness rather that is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of that faith. So what Paul in verse 12 has not obtained is righteousness. Paul, the greatest apostle, not righteous? What does righteous mean? Righteous means holy. It means right and perfect. It means that which is, has arrived at that which is fully seen as sanctified. He's not there yet. Not that I have already obtained it. That righteousness, I know it's out there. I don't quite have a grip on it yet. That holiness that I'm still pursuing, the right living and the completion of even my sanctification. So Paul says, not that I have already obtained it. Even the great apostle is not there yet. What an encouragement for us, beloved, to realize that we too must be on that same path and acknowledging if certainly Paul, the author of the largest number of epistles in the New Testament, has not arrived there, then we probably haven't either. And that's okay. Because he's not saying that this is a bad thing. He is just professing this truth. It's immediately draws us into the text, doesn't it? It's not just Paul, it's us too. I can associate with that, can't you? To realizing I'm just not there yet, I'm not where I want to be in my righteousness, my sanctification is not where it ought to be, my holiness is not where it ought to be. I don't make time in the morning to read and pray in the scripture as I want. I read about Hudson Taylor. If you've not read Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret, go out and get it today. Come down to my office and take my copy and go read it. it I've read the book, I don't know, so many times. I've taught it to my high school group in Idaho. I taught it to my middle school group in Idaho. And Hudson Taylor talks, and well, his grandson who writes about him talks about Hudson Taylor getting up at two in the morning so that he could have four hours for prayer before he started his scripture reading and I go not there yet not there yet in so many ways but Paul here gives us encouragement he too has not obtained it yet 
there's still more. So we're drawn in, and and it's good to be drawn in. And he goes on to say, Not only have I not obtained it, or I have not already become perfect. So he has not already obtained, and he has not already become perfect. Notice it says, become perfect. It doesn't say, I am not perfect, as if somehow it was something he could do. It's a passive verb, become perfect. We've talked about the difference between passive and active verbs, right? The active verb is, uh, I was driving in my car and I hit the other car. Active, I did it, I hit the other car. The passive version, I was driving along and that car hit me. The insurance company and everybody else loves to hear the passive way better than the active. So this is a situation where this passive form, he has not become perfect. He can't do it on his own. It has to be given to him. It's a passive, it's an action outside of him. This pursuit of perfection is not something that comes on his own. It's something that has to come externally. That's why we understand in sanctification, yes, it is our work. It is our requirement. We have to continually assess our lives. We have to, as James tells us, look into the perfect mirror of the word and see who we are. But in addition to all of that, we have to recognize God's role in this. The role of the Father, Son, and Spirit all involved in our sanctification. A beautiful consideration. And this is what's being proclaimed to us by his not yet already becoming perfect. Beautiful for us to understand the action and also the result. But notice also the word already. It's repeated so we don't miss that this is the current state of Paul's life. This is what's going on right now in the Apostle Paul's life. He's not writing about past history. Like back when I first went into jail, I wasn't quite quite there, but now I've arrived. No, right at this moment as he's writing and he's bringing this powerful illustration, he's giving us twice this repeated statement of the current condition of his life. But the two negations that are with that reveal the assessment of his life. He's not there yet. I love what John MacArthur says about this. He says, The race towards Christ-likeness begins with a sense of honesty and dissatisfaction. The race towards Christ-likeness begins with a sense of honesty and dissatisfaction. We must be honest with ourselves, beloved. We must recognize the ways in which we fall short and acknowledge that we are not satisfied with that, that it's not good enough, that I have not yet obtained it, that I have not already become perfect. Christ-likeness begins with this understanding of who we really are. And yet, despite this situation, he says, but I press on. This is the the Greek word that describes an earnest action. This is a, a, a strong exertion. It can be translated as to run, but for this I run. 
Again, Dr. MacArthur tells us this is the same word used of the sprinters in the Greek games. He does this so that he may lay hold of that for which he was laid hold of by Christ. What is it that Paul's talking about? What is this laying hold of that he references? Not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect, that righteousness, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. He's trying to grasp this for which Christ laid hold of him. What does Christ lay hold of any of us for? What is the one role and goal that we pursue in our walks with the Lord? It's to have Christ formed in us, isn't it? Isn't that what sanctification is all about? Isn't that what righteousness is all about? Christ is the picture of righteousness. I'm not. We know that at salvation we have Christ's alien righteousness imputed to us and that we are seen as holy and righteous before God at the moment that we are saved. And so we are secure in heaven as believers in Christ at that moment. But that's the positional component. There is the ongoing progressive work of seeing Christ formed in us. And that's what Paul's referencing. In. That's what Christ laid hold of Paul for. That's what he laid hold of you and me for. So that Christ would be formed in us. So that we would be living expressions of the Lord Jesus Christ on earth. This is the perfection of righteousness. It's what we see proclaimed back in one of my favorite chapters of Scripture in Romans chapter 8 and verse 29. Romans 8, 29, For those whom he foreknew he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. Those whom God foreknew and predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. We are to be conformed into the image of Christ. Christ is to be brought to life in us and we are to live out our lives, as Romans 12 tells us, as living sacrifices unto Christ. This is that for which Paul was laid hold of. This is what laying hold is all about. And beloved, like Paul, we must never stop. We must never stop. So with the first action of laying hold established, it takes us to our second action and our second point in verses 13 and 14, which I've titled, Pressing Forward. Laying hold and then pressing forward. Look at verse 13, if you would, with me. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. Paul reaffirms his current standing. That is, not there yet. I'm not there yet. Not yet laying hold of it. Exact same verb that we saw back in verse 12. I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But, again in contrast, but in contrast to his current condition, he is pressing forward. And notice what he says. 
but one thing I do. He considers where he is. I could be downcast, I could be depressed, I could realize my current spiritual situation, and I could beat myself up pretty badly and say, you know, I'm just kind of a loser Christian. I don't know why the Lord has anything to do with me. But that's not at all what Paul does here. He is understanding that he could and should be so much further along. But no, that's not it. He forgets what lies behind and he reaches forward. Forget what lies behind. Forget it. Those things that are monumental spiritual experiences. I've done this. I've done that. It's of no value. It's behind you. So also with the monumental spiritual failures. Oh my gosh, I've done this. I've done that. Forget it. It lies behind you. Beloved, we cannot change the past. There is only one thing that we can affect, and that is what comes before us. We can purpose with all of our hearts and with all of our souls and with all of our minds, as Paul did, to forget what lies behind and reach forward to keep pressing ahead. That's exactly what he's telling us. Reaching forward towards greater sanctification. Reaching forward towards greater holiness. Reaching forward to better proclaim the glories and the excellencies of our Savior. To let everyone know how much we love this one who has set us free, who has given his life for us, and that he loves them every bit as much as he loves us. And that his desire is that they would come to know him. That he would remove them from the bondage of their sin and their iniquity and give them eternal life in him. That is what we are to be about. That is reaching forward to what lies ahead. Verse 14 carries the idea of pressing forward further where it says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He is pressing on towards the goal. That verb pressing on, same as we saw back in verse 12. Repeating for emphasis that we have to press on. Remember, that was that running, that exertion, that strong effort to press hard. This is, this is who we are in our Christian life. We're not like, oh yeah, I'm gonna get there. You know, just, I, I gotta have a little time. Be easy with me. No, it is a run. What's here today? I've got to go. I've got to be moving. I'm in the blocks. I'm ready to go. That's what our lives are to reflect. It's not like, well, I think I'll think about it a little. I think I'll come up with a plan about how I'm going to do a little better in my prayer life. I'm going to do a little better in my Bible reading. I'm going to try and be a little better Christian, but I'm going to take a while to develop that plan. No! Go now! Go now! Press ahead. We don't, you don't see a sprinter. I, you know, we've got the Olympics coming up, the Summer Olympics in a couple of years, and I'm not fond for a number of reasons of the fastest man in the world, but you cannot argue with what it means to press on as you understand Hussein Bolt coming out of the blocks in the 100-meter dash. I mean, that is a picture of every muscle and element and fiber of that man's being exploding down the track. That's the picture that we're to be about. 
every fiber of our being focused and pressing ahead towards Christ, pressing ahead towards the cross. That's what we are. That's who we are. That's exactly what we see in verse 14 as he again repeats that verb pressing on towards the goal. The goal, here another athletic word. The goal is uh, another word, a metaphor, and it's often used to describe the finish line. A goal is the finish line. You know, every element of a sprinter's run, he is thinking about that finish line. And he is moving, and every thought is as he gets towards it, and that last half meter before he gets there, that he can lunge through that line and be the first to the goal. That's what he's speaking about here. I press on toward the goal. I press on toward the finish line. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on, press on towards the goal for the prize. The prize is another athletic metaphor. He's just backing them up three in a row here. Three in a row, pressing on, goal, prize. The prize is the reward that he is pleading for. The prize is that which lies ahead for him. It is the the gift, it is the trophy, it is the wreath, it is the crown. And what in a perfect metaphor, the wreath which runners received in the Idumean and Olympic Games of that time as the crown of their victory. And spiritually, that prize is perfectly conveys of the prize of the upward call. The prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. It is a heavenward race. Heaven always before us. The ultimate reward of the believer. Do we have, he he is bringing to us this vehement striving crescendo towards heaven. And beloved, we just have to keep asking ourselves, is this our goal? Is heaven everything to us? And I will tell you, and I'm so blessed to have some of our young people with us this evening, it's harder for you. It's further away. It doesn't seem like as great a reality. For some of us that have lived a little longer and walked through a few harder miles and know some of those details, heaven is immeasurable. By the way, that is one of the many vital realities why you must connect with our senior saints in our church who understand this so that you can get that picture, so that you can see them pressing on for the goal. When we see our Zelna McLeans, when we see uh, uh, all of our wonderful seniors continuing to walk and to live for Christ, our Marjorie Halls and and so many, these are the picture of those who are heaven-minded, And we must be that way. We must be forgetting everything that is around us and looking forward to heaven. Is that you? Are you delighted to consider what it will be like to be in Jesus' presence? Are you delighted to recognize what it will be like to be free from sin? That's the picture that's being painted for us. To live Christ-like. Is that not what Paul just said? To live in Christ, live as Christ and to die is gain? How could he say that? Because it is. 
Yes, to live as Christ, to live as glorious, the blessings of sharing our most holy faith with those around us and with the world that so desperately needs to know. But to die is gain. To die is to know Christ, to know him as we are known. What an amazing privilege this will be to consider the desire of heaven. And beloved, as we think about pressing forward towards the goal, towards the upward call of Christ Jesus, we must again never stop. Never stop laying hold. Never stop pressing forward. And our third point, never stop living right. Never stop living right in verses 15 and 16. Look at verse 15 with me. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. Paul says, therefore, as many as are perfect. He he connects all that is just said with that word therefore. And the word perfect here can also be translated as mature. And perhaps is a a better translation. All those who are laying hold and pressing forward. All that we've just been commanded to follow through for and exhorted to carry on. And now he goes on. For the mature, let us have this attitude. So all that he's just talked about and in realizing that although we've not obtained it, that we're not perfect, yet we press on, yet we seek to lay hold of that righteousness for which we were laid hold of. And we continue to look for the goal, to look for heaven. But now, therefore, as many as are mature, let us have this attitude. Let us have this attitude. Literally, let us think in this way. That is, in the way he's just described. Let us think in the ways that I've just talked about. Let us not be focusing on what's behind us, whether for good or for bad, but let us be looking ahead. Let us be striving forward. Let us be recognizing the righteousness which is yet to be formed in us. Paul continues to exhort the living right which he has discussed already. And then he addresses those, after that, with those who don't. And if anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also. Those who don't pursue with all their zeal Christ-likeness, those who, as he says in verse 15, have a different attitude, God will reveal that to you. Paul leaves them to God's hands to deal with. He says, if this isn't you, if you don't see this, if this isn't a desire of your heart, if you don't recognize in your maturity, because you're not there yet, this pursuit or this need to press ahead, God will reveal that to you. God will open your eyes to the truth of what it means to truly pursue Him, to pursue His Word, to push everything else out of the way and let His Word be that which speaks into your heart and your life, removing tradition, removing speculation, removing our presuppositions and all our ideas about what we think Scripture says and let it speak to us. And he says, and if you're not there yet, God will reveal that to you. 
Then in verse 16, he goes on, however, let us keep living by the same standard to which we have attained. Returns to address the mature and all that he has said and all that they have done. Now he says, you must continue. All that you've done, all that you've learned, all that you know in your maturity, now you must resolve to conform yourselves and to continue into this same methodology. You must continue to pursue righteousness. You must continue to pursue Christ-likeness. You must continue to strive with all that you are, with all of your zeal, to have Christ formed in you. And in all of these, we must never stop. In the aspects of our laying hold and our pressing forward and our living right, we must never stop. It is a day-by-day, moment-by-moment struggle within ourselves and our flesh. As Galatians 5.16 tells us that our very flesh lusts against the Spirit of God seeking to do right in us. We must win that war. We must not allow our flesh to have its way. But we must continue to press on. And these are the hallmarks of a Christian. Pursuing sanctification. That is understanding that every day that we fall short. Not beating ourselves up for it. In fact, even seeking more to know which ways we fall short. So that we might do a better job in the future. Pursuing righteousness recognizing holiness in our lives and anything that stands in that way, clearing it out as clearly as uh, the steel tip, uh, the steel bow of an icebreaker ripping through the Great Lakes. That's how we must be zealous as we move through the sin in our world and our life to rip it aside and beyond and to continue to pursue towards Christ, to pursue Christ-likeness in us, to know Him, And to be known by him until Christ is formed in us. Because in that day and in that way, then we will know the perfection that will one day be ours in heaven. But it is every day that we must pursue this, beloved. And it is the most glorious and exciting privilege to understand that we stand side by side and shoulder to shoulder with the great Apostle Paul as those who have much work to do and a great resolve and direction on how to do it. And we stand with one another in this church as having opportunity to encourage and strengthen one another, to guide and to guard, and that through us that Christ would be formed here and that he would be made known in this community, in this town, in our state, and in this world. And that's the job that we've got to do. And it's a job we can do. And with God's help, it's that which he will accomplish through us. And we can rejoice in that.